You're listening to Archiving the Inner City, the podcast where we discuss how, by whom, and for what purposes the 20th century inner city is remembered, curated, and represented. Archiving the Inner City is a five-year University of York research project led by Gareth Millington and funded by the Leverhulme Trust. My name is Aishka Sene and I'm a research associate on the project. In this first episode, we'll hear more about the project from the researchers involved, as well as interview extracts from fieldwork sites in London, Paris and Philadelphia. Our research team was interviewed for this podcast by Adassa MacDonald-Dixon, who held an ESRC Summer Research Experience placement at the University of York during the summer of 2022. Could you please tell me about the origins of the project? Well, how the urban past is curated is always a contentious process. There's always something at stake. And this is especially true in the case of already politicised spaces, such as the inner city, where urban decline had been misrepresented by politicians and the media and some sociologists as a race problem. So this project examines how, by whom, and for what purposes the 20th century inner city is being remembered, curated and represented. But the project is international in scope and focuses on inner city sites in London, Brixton, Paris, La Goutte d'Or and Chateau Rouge and Philadelphia, the seventh ward. And in each case, the resonance and influence of place transcends locality. Narratives, images and symbols of black urban life in these spaces circulate across the globe. They are part of a diasporic and a black Atlantic urban experience. So this project will not produce an archive in itself, nor will it attempt to narrate urban history. Rather, it seeks to understand the contested ways that the times and spaces of the inner city are made legible today, in cities that are at the same time being shaped to greater or lesser degrees by political economic processes of gentrification, heritageization, and tourism. We now move to the three inner city locations which are the foci of the project and hear from some of the researchers on the ground in each city. First, Miranda Armstrong introduces Brixton in London. Then, Aurelien Makoko Gampiot and I present Chateau Rouge and La Goutte d'Or, our Paris site. And finally, Gareth Millington describes the Seventh Ward in Philadelphia. Can you describe the research site? Brixton is just 10 minutes from central London by tube, but it's a residential neighbourhood in southwest London which is bordered by Stockwell, um, Streatham, Kennington and Hanhill and Camberwell um, at different edges. And it's got a brilliant town centre. It's known for its shopping. Um, So as well as the usual retail chains, it also has a sprawling indoor market as well as an outdoor one. And the market is well known for its groceries for African Caribbean cooking, as well as dishes from all over the world and interiors and clothes and fashion accessories and guests. And then beyond shopping, there's lots of places to enjoy food and drink, entertainment and nightlife. And thinking back to kind of its residential spaces, it's quite mixed in terms of the residences. So um, as well as post-war social housing estates, there's also quite um, a lot of period properties as well. Ma recherche porte sur les quartiers de la Goutte d'Or et Château Rouge. 
My research focuses on the neighborhoods of Chateau Rouge and the Goutte d'Or, which are situated in Paris's 18th arrondissement. There are 20 arrondissements in Paris, and the 18th represents a wide research terrain, especially in the south of the 18th. Along with Aurelia, I work on our Paris site, which is La Goutte d'Or and Chateau Rouge. It's a working-class neighbourhood with a long history of migration, and it's still characterised by a very diverse population. Lots of people originating from North and Sub-Saharan Africa. The neighbourhood began a period of renovation in the mid-1980s, during which some of the dilapidated apartment blocks were restored with improved safety and sanitation standards. The neighbourhood has always had a high percentage of social housing. Since the 1970s and 80s, there's been a strong associative fabric in the neighbourhood, with numerous organisations fighting to maintain the neighbourhood's diversity and working-class values, as well as representing the needs of children, young people, women and migrants. Just north of the Goutte d'Or, there's a strong commercial sector in Chateau Rouge called Marché de Jean. It takes place almost every day and it's a real epicentre for ethnic and particularly African produce. Especially on a Saturday afternoon, it's packed and people come from all over Paris and beyond. The Seventh Ward is an area of South Philadelphia, close to Centre City and Society Hill. It's no longer referred to by this name, but the Seventh Ward was a significant black urban settlement first documented in an 1838 census carried out by the Pennsylvania Abolition Society, and later, more famously, by W.E.B. Du Bois in his 1899 study, The Philadelphia Negro. It remained an important black neighbourhood until the mid-20th century, when, like many inner urban areas in the US, it was impacted by urban renewal. In the case of the 7th Ward, it was the threat of a crosstown expressway that caused many black residents to leave, many of whom moved to newly built housing projects in North or West Philly the process which increased racial segregation in the city. Some public housing for black residents was built close to the 7th Ward, though, in Hawthorne, thanks to the efforts of activist Alice Lipscomb. Today, what was the 7th Ward is an area known more in relation to its main thoroughfare, South Street. In addition to being a lively, slightly bohemian shopping and entertainment district, it is very much a black heritage space, where many sites, people and events are commemorated or preserved. An example of this is the huge Du Bois mural on South Street, very close to Mother Bethel AME Church, which was founded by Richard Allen. Each location has a well-documented history of migration, post-colonial or rural urban, black political activism, cultural creativity and entrepreneurship, and latterly, gentrification. How then are these histories being made legible in the present? In this next section, our researchers discuss the heritage and archiving practices which are happening in each location. We interpret the notion of archiving generously and consider the city itself as a palimpsest, where the historical and the everyday are layered. Iteza Anwara Moyudin is the research associate in Philadelphia. Her discussion of the Mother of Bethel AME Church and neighboring playground illustrates this well. So in terms of actual historical things that are still going on, I have identified a few places. So there's the Mother Bethel AME Church, uh, which is also an incredible site. It's on Six and Lombard, and it's the oldest continuously owned land by African-Americans in the United States. I don't want to get the date wrong, but I think it was the 1780s, like maybe 1781. And there's a church that's been there since that time. There's been four different structures, but that's we're on the fourth structure. And uh, it's a very historical church. They have their own archives, they have their own museum. 
And so I've been working with uh, Margaret Gerardo, who's an archivist there, to kind of learn more about the history of the Mother Bethel AME congregation. Um, and then they're actually, they used to have this old burial site called the Wekako. Well, now it's called the Wekako Playground. So what happened, as Margaret explained to me, was that Richard Allen, he and I think some of his colleagues, I think they needed money. So they sold this land that they owned, the burial site. And over time, you know, it just kind of changed hands. Eventually, a playground was built on the site. And I think not too long ago, maybe 10 or 15 years ago, there was an archaeologist who was, I think, hired to do a study of that area because they were trying to build a structure on top of it. But then he realized that there were, there was, it was an actual graveyard. And he identified the bones as belonging to, you know, old parishioners of the Mother Bethel AME Church. Now they're actually building a memorial on top of this playground. So they're going to keep the playground, but what, they're, what they've done is actually ask for public input into what kind of memorial should be built. Marissa Williamson is a project-based artist who works around themes of history, race, feminism and technology. She was allocated the Wekako playground site as part of her fellowship with an art and history studio in Philadelphia. During this fellowship, she created the Sweet Chariot video, map and scavenger hunt, an app which guides audience members through sites in the historic 7th Ward and Old City that are linked to the history and emancipation of African Americans in Philadelphia. Monument Lab was like, we have these sites that artists can work from, you know, that we'd like to unearth. And Wekako Playground, it had been discovered recently. And then I proposed a kind of swing set where kids would like swing on the swings and then jump off the swings onto a map. I didn't want to um, lose this yeah. idea that you can play in the past and in solemn spaces, um, even as, as they're like sacred in, in some way. But then they said I couldn't build anything. And I was like, what would what would that same project be if it weren't um, physical? So I started to think about a game or something in an app. I thought about, you know, a walk, a tour, putting things in front of your, you know, uncovering things um, hidden in plain sight. I found in the research, there was this woman buried at Wekako at the Mother Bethel AME you know, burial ground, Amelia Brown, that her headstone had been found. So I was like, okay, maybe that's a character hmm. um, who can guide people through the town, you know, through to Philadelphia. What kinds of heritage or archiving projects are happening there right now? Il y a plusieurs associations qui travaillent notamment there are numerous associations who work on memory, heritage and conservation. I've met people during field work, like the owner of the Echo Musée, who work in art promoting local artists. There's ISI too, the Institute for Islamic Cultures, which is directed by a woman called Stephanie Chazelon, which also displays art and artifacts related to Islamic cultures. There's the FGO Barbara Center and the library, which holds collections and have archives. 
l'association euh, Salle Saint-Bruno, qui accueille souvent des étudiants. As the Salle Saint-Bruno, which often hosts students and researchers who study there. Finally, there is Radio Soleil Goudon, which is created by Saïd Bouzeri, who is a well-known human rights activist based in the Goudon, who fought for migrants' rights, and Sans Papier, there was a square named after him called Square Saint-Bernard Saïd Bouzeri. Aurelia mentioned the work of the Institute for Islamic Cultures in the Goot Door, and in an interview with him, the director of the Institute described their work partnering with local heritage associations, artists and members of the community. Euh, là maintenant, on travaille sur un projet euh, toujours euh, très local avec une association. Euh, At the moment, we are working with another local organization called IM Zemen, which is an association working with former migrant workers who are now retired, who are still in France throughout their administrative journey, with questions about rights and support. Also offering support in their daily lives, activities to combat loneliness. On travaille avec euh, un artiste. So we worked with an artist who explored various memories of the 18e arrondissement. There were several cinemas in the 18e which have now disappeared, and going to the cinema was a popular hobby for migrant workers in the 60s and 70s. At the time, there were lots of cinemas in the neighborhood. And we also partnered with organizations working with young people to create intergenerational links with these retired migrant workers and the young people in the community. Looking at this memory of how the neighborhood was experienced by these former generations and what it has become. How would you summarize the themes that you've come across so far, if there are any? So I think there is a consensus that Brixton has and continues to be a space of resistance due to its history of rebellions but there is little kind of counter-narrative to that in at societal level. So yes, it, it has been a space not just of rebellions, but of act, different forms of activism. But I think that the positive social action that has taken place there gets lost. So you have these very spectacular and sensationalised images of riots, but quieter and more positive forms of activism um, are less discussed. So there's been heritage activism, the road to to establishing the Black Cultural Archives was decades long and is a major achievement. There's also the first ever memorial to African and Caribbean service personnel that exists there. There is education activism in terms of the establishment of Saturday schools in and around Brixton and across London, and also feminist activism. So the at least one of the conferences of OWAD, the Organization of Women of African and Asian Descent, was held in Brixton. And beyond the activism, there, there were just so many other movements and spaces. So um, it was a key site of the Black Arts Movement. And there were just various intellectual scenes um, around the Railton Road. And then 
just other cultural, political and artistic spaces, which should be a source of inspiration and should be celebrated, but get subsumed underneath the disproportionate focus on riots. Miranda conducted an interview with Melba Wilson, MBE, a writer and advocate whose work has focused on mental health policy, practice and research in relation to Britain's black communities. In this extract, Melba reflects on her arrival in Brixton, her involvement in the Brixton Women's Group, the BWG, and the importance of Brixton's intellectual communities as well as its history of activism. The interview was recorded outside Brixton's Black Cultural Archives in the summer of 2022. When I found Brixton, it was like, whoa, this is, this is the place to be. And I was fortunate with the timing because the black women's movement was just getting off the ground. BWG was forming and getting it syncing together. I was part bit, able to be, you know, a real part of that. Yeah. And um, there were loads of resources. Lambeth Council was a supportive council in Brixton. And there was just so much work to be done in Brixton. There was music, there was literature, there was activism, there was camaraderie. Yeah. Um, it was all here. Mm. Uh, and you know, you, you know, you, you knew you could come to Brixton and plug into what you needed to plug into. Uh, that was important, the yeah. thinking. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't activity just for the sake of it. It was, mm. it was strategic thinking. It was, and there were strategic thinkers in Brixton at the time, mm. as well as activists. According to the research associates in the different cities, the value of this project is in highlighting the positive work of associations and organisations in these urban spaces, and in bringing to the fore heritage and memory endeavours which provide an alternative narrative to that of the inner city in decline. The value of this project is that it offers a fresh perspective on the neighbourhood. These neighbourhoods of the Goutte d'Or and Chateau Rouge often have a bad press or reputation. So by doing this project, we place emphasis on the work which associations do, because it is a neighbourhood with a strong associative presence and around 66 associations in the area. This project highlights the impact of these associations in Chateau Rouge and the Goutteau neighbourhood. The project, our project is called Archiving the Inner City. And I think in a lot of literature, early literature, the inner city was kind of stigmatized as a place of criminality or crime um, and, and just poverty, bad education, a lot of negative, negative connotations. But the inner city is also this incredibly vibrant, culturally rich area. And I think what our project is doing is to highlight some of these rich cultural histories and to accentuate the efforts of everyday people who are doing this work. So far we've discovered and made links between a wide variety of heritage projects and memory work dedicated to the inner city. 
We should not lose sight of how this might be considered a strange development, in that these were some of the most stigmatised and derogated urban districts in London, Paris and Philadelphia. One of our key questions then is why now? Why the urge to begin archiving the inner city now? We can point to four key factors. The first is in relation to the displacement of black and working class residents of the inner city due to urban renewal and more latterly gentrification. Simply, some people want to reconnect with their own or their family's history. The second factor, but at the same time, the people who've moved into these inner urban areas, often white, educated and affluent residents, are keen to learn about the history of these areas, to rediscover their authentic pasts and to somehow kind of own or take over the narratives of these histories. Third, the rise of Black Lives Matter since 2013 and especially since 2020 has led to a concerted attempt, often led by dedicated activists, archivists, artists or heritage workers to uncover and educate others about black urban history. The history of our cities is being rewritten now in this respect, even if there are still many obstacles in the way to locating and providing access to this knowledge. Fourth, well, there's a commercial imperative to present the perceived edgy authenticity of these urban spaces and to sell these to consumers, to tourists, to residents and so on. So these imaginaries may come from estate agents, from things like craft breweries, boutiques or even major corporations such as Nike. And often they present these urban spaces within a post-racial imaginary that views black and working class social and cultural history as universalist without the struggle that actually defined the development and the making of these inner cities. I think one thing we can emphasise, however, is the rise of a new, vibrant, creative and resourceful field of public urban history dedicated to archiving and curating the past, but also to using the city itself as an archive through which history can be shared. And overall, this is a democratic move that seeks to resuscitate certain aspects from how people once lived in the inner city, or it's committed to make sure that certain injustices are not repeated in the future. Huge thanks to all the contributors on today's episode. You've been listening to Archiving the Inner City, the podcast where we discuss how, by whom, and for what purposes the 20th century inner city is remembered, curated, and represented. We'll be back with another episode soon.